Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Investment News Podcast. This is your host, Bruce Kelly. I am a reporter and a senior columnist here with Investment News and I've been working on the podcast for a few years. We have some, uh, a couple of really uh, wonderful guests this afternoon and someone who we actually had on earlier this year. They're both from Fidelity's eMoney Advisor. We have Matt Schulte, who's the head of financial planning at eMoney Advisor. And returning to the podcast, which is always a wonderful thing, is Dr. Emily Uchel, who's head of the financial wellness program and yet eMoney Advisor. So both of you, welcome so much to the Investment News Podcast. Thank you, Bruce. Appreciate you having us. Yeah. Thanks, Bruce. Happy to be back. Yeah, Emily, you particularly impressed me. I don't know, Matt. I don't think we've ever spoken before. We haven't, and I, I'm I'm also very impressed by Emily, just to get that out there. <laughs> I can imagine. Oh, thank you both. So, Emily, you are a doctor. You have your PhD and everything. You were on in May, I believe, and you were talking, I think you had either come out with a paper or, or had been doing some interviews about financial psychology and behavioral finance. That's right. It was pretty heady stuff, but the whole goal behind all this is to make financial advisors better financial planners, I think, right? And to understand their clients, perhaps, and their clients' motivations and behaviors and the like. Is that, is, am I getting this correct? Absolutely. I mean, I think in its, its simplest form, it's really understanding why we do what we do with our money and all of the, the kind of nuances and influences that that has in our relationship with money and how that enters the financial planning relationship and how that actually enters the the financial plan itself. Right. So if people are interested in that, I encourage them to go back on the Investment News website or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast back to May. I think it was mid-May or so. If they want to hear Emily talk more about that today, we're going to be speaking about uh, one or two different things here today, more specific, I think, to eMoney Advisor. Matt, why don't you get started? Just tell us a little bit about yourself. It seems just in pre-discussion here, you've been at eMoney for quite some time. I have. I have. I'm uh, one of the seven original folks who were with eMoney uh, day one. So that is 23 plus years ago. So yes, I, I'm Matt Schulte. I am the head of financial planning at eMoney, you know, involved and responsible for all things financial planning under our roof. So that, you know, that's everything from our practice management teams to how the financial planning group impacts, you know, product and development work, our messaging and communicating and branding and how we position our sales opportunities, our our enterprise clients and helping to diagnose how they are looking to deploy more financial planning through their respective systems. So been at it a long time, wouldn't change a thing. I, I like to think that uh, I have my own, you know, my own little bit of the American dream, helping to start a company and then growing it up to where we are today. So you must have started. You must have started at eMoney back around say 2000 or so. Exactly. It was uh, June of 2000 that we officially kicked things off. And uh, as you and I were discussing earlier, we are we were founded and still headquartered right outside of Philadelphia in Radnor, Pennsylvania. I started at Investment News in April of 2000. Yeah, so in terms I mean of longevity there. I got you beat by like sixty days or something. Hey, uh, you know, more more power to you. I mean, it was it was an interesting time. Dot com was falling apart, right? Well, it was the dot com craze, and right. Then right after we started, the bottom fell out of it. And you know, 
we uh, we were out there trying to get funding and trying to get some traction in an environment where, you know, people were saying, well, we were doing business with five firms that look just like you and they no longer exist. So we're, we're a little wary of, of uh, uh, working with guys like you. So it was it was a tough slog initially, but gradually uh, made our way. Yeah, I bet the fundraising environment from venture cap and private equity was quite a bit different, you know, in 2000 for, for fintech with the fintech and, and the aggregator craze rolling along. How, how, do you, how do you measure e-money? Do you measure it by financial advisors who use it or assets that are on the uh, platform or, you know, broker dealers or RIAs that, that are clients? How do you, can you just give us an indication of your size and heft because you guys are one of the leaders in the sure business, um, right? Yeah. I mean, we, we operate today with a little over a hundred thousand financial professionals, um, utilizing the software. And that is across, you know, everything from, you know, RIA firms to broker dealers, insurance, broker dealers, banks, a little bit of everybody is, is in that universe. So that's um, almost like a third of the registered people who yeah, I mean, from a market share standpoint, that that's kind of how we look at it. We're we're in that uh, thirty-five to forty percent market share kind of range. With about, um, and, I guess and, the estimate the estimate I always use is around three hundred twenty thousand registered people, brokers, and RIAs. You know, very similar to how we yeah. kind of look at the marketplace. Yes, yeah. But you've signed up some big firms recently, haven't you? Uh, we Wells have. Fargo I mean, we can, money. I'm sorry. Did Wells Fargo advisors? Yes. A year or two ago, uh, introducing money to their advisors? Yes. Wells Fargo did become a client of ours actually a good 18 months or so ago. Right. And uh, that was one of uh, that was one of our, our larger engagements. Again, we have we have everything from individual advisors who hang a shingle and, and buy a single instance of e-money to organizations that are looking to acquire the technology across their user base or right. across their advisor network and you know they will configure it and and personalize it for their firm. Yeah, I mean from a one man or two man shop to a, you know, 10,000 plus, you know. <laughs> exactly. It, it, it runs the gamut. There. That's great. A Emily, tell us a, a little bit about yourself and your expertise and your background. Yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned, I have the opportunity to head up um, our financial wellness programs which is inside of uh, Matt's team inside of the financial planning group. In our team, we really focus on some of this research that we're going to discuss. So looking at uh, tenets of financial psychology, which is, you know, still kind of a new and emerging trend, which is really interesting. In addition to that, I also help with our financial education through our financial wellness efforts. So educating advisors on technology, of course, but also on some of our thought leadership pieces like financial psychology, um, and, and ultimately, uh, getting all of this information out there. What is, Emily, what is the kind of general reaction to, from a financial advisor, you know, who's been in the business for, you know, two, three decades, when you start speaking about financial psychology, do they go, <laughs> oh, come on, do I, really have, is this another thing I got to deal with? I'm already, uh, uh, a CFP, you know, I have a CPA in my office, right? You know, I've, you know, I'm trying to raise two kids and and uh, you know three kids or whatever and and the like and, and make the mortgage payments on my summer house, you know. 
and yeah. have to deal with financial psychology. What is the what's the just kind of reaction or how does it how does that how does that go when you start talking to financial advisors? That's a great question. Um, so most people are probably more familiar with behavioral finance. Right. It's been around for That's what we talked about it. You know, yeah, kind of, you know, since the 1970s, right? So one of the things that we did when we actually started out with this research uh, last year, we kind of have generally called it this this body of research, the evolution of advice. One of the things that we did last year is we wanted to really take a pulse check on advisors and say, hey, what do you guys, <laughs> you know, what does everyone think about this? And what we found is 85% of advisors were at least somewhat familiar with the topic and were more familiar with behavioral finance. And so what we set out to do is kind of understand if there was, you know, some of these these true differences there. And there, in fact, are when you start to get into kind of the nuance of it all. But so just for everybody out there, financial psychology is going to be like the understanding of your beliefs about money, your personal relationship with money that influence and financial decision-making and behaviors um, that we see show up in, in the financial planning experience. So what we found is most people were generally familiar with it and they found it to be really important. In addition to that, they found that there were advantages to it. One of the great things that has come along is at the CFP board. So anybody who is a certified financial planner, the CFP board has also introduced it as an element or requirement of the CFP exam now. So it now makes up 7% of the exam, which means that if you are taking that exam, you now have to show or prove competency in the psychology of financial planning. So when a certifying body like that puts it into their exam requirement, we often see the field have a reaction to that. And honestly, it builds in some credibility to, to the field where a lot of people have been doing this work. But again, when a certifying body says it's it's now a requirement for all future financial planners, that really starts to turn some heads. So we've we've continued to see this trending upward. When did the CFP board do that? They did it just uh, a couple years ago. So in addition to introducing it to the exam, they also put out uh, a resource book called The Psychology of Financial Planning, which I, amongst others, had an opportunity to contribute to. So as they were introducing that, to the exam, they were also putting out resources. And what that means is not only for those that are taking the exam, but any students that are in what are CFP registered programs across the nation, those professors and teachers now will have to fulfill that education requirement when they're educating students through their registered programs. So the impact is is quite pervasive on the field now. And Matt, one more thing before we get into your current report. And a little more background about that. eMoney was an independent company, but then Fidelity acquired it, right? Yes. When was that exactly? I can't remember. That was, I believe it was March of 2015. Okay. Well, um, way back then, huh? Yes. F- Fidelity acquired us. We've been operating, you know, a- as a wholly owned subsidiary, but a separate company and a separate brand uh, ever since. So what is the, you guys recently had a, um, had a, a event, right? You had a virtual eMoney Summit. Is that correct? Correct. That's right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. We uh, we host you do one that every year, or or do you have it? At, do you ha- have you had it in person in the past, or or what? We have. We we started as an in person event, probably I believe this was our tenth, so that would have been twenty thirteen, uh, would have been the inaugural one, and we've hosted that in different places around the country. Into the pandemic, we turned it virtual. 
And as of now, we have maintained that as a virtual event. We had uh, 1,600, I believe, or roughly that number, uh, attendees this past this past one here in October. Right. Um, and it ran the course of about three days um, with a host of uh, panel discussions, CE sessions, uh, webinars on a whole host of topics, e-money, along with, uh, you know, this body of work in, in the financial psychology space. Why do it virtually and why not in person? Well, I think that there is some debate there, and, and we have talked about whether or not we create a hybrid version or back in person. We found it to be incredibly successful as a virtual event and so have continued that. It's not that we maybe won't go back to an in-person event at some point, but one of the main advantages is that it allows firms a, a much more practical way to send attendees. Instead of maybe sending one person from your firm, we were able to, in some cases, have firms send 20, 50. I believe there was even a couple that sent over 100 individuals per large enterprise organization. So that that's one of the reasons. It, it, obviously, from a cost standpoint, it's it's much more manageable. I think that's that, that's fascinating. That's a fast, fascinating snapshot of what do you do, you know, post pandemic when it comes to these meetings. Do you go in person or do you keep it virtual or or what? And I guess you guys presented a report there about what clients value and how to get better, how financial advisors can get better outcomes, right? That's right. Yeah. So we really looked at, you know, bringing together, um, as we have kind of mentioned, this emerging trend of financial psychology, but also bringing that into a really powerful tool like technology. And and specifically, we explored client portals in, in the research. Right. So Emily, just, just speak about that. First of all, what do you mean by client portal? And then you know, how, how does that factor into trust, motivation, and and referrals as you guys broke it down? Yeah, absolutely. So what we know is the investment into technology as well as the digital experience continues to be top of mind for advisors and clients are also looking for that experience. So we know that kind of the, the highest results often come through client engagement. And so we can use a tech-driven experience, what we've considered harnessing the technology and these elements of financial psychology to better meet uh, client expectations and their their client needs. And so where we start with this is we know that embracing technology is important. We see just objectively the outcomes there in terms of being, you know, automation and being able to put it in uh, for time-saving Right. But in addition to that, then we have financial psychology. So really that's about getting really personal with your clients, engaging them and making kind of that connection to to their lives. So we're bringing these two elements together inside of this research. Now, what we find is that if we look at it just from one or the other technology, embracing technology that, of course, has an impact on outcomes such as financial satisfaction and loyalty and trust, et cetera. The same thing goes for financial psychology. If I'm just embracing financial psychology and I find that to be important, I'm taking what we consider thin psych actions and bringing those into my service, we also see an increase in these various client outcomes. So what, really, what are just a couple of practical, you know, real world observations that you were able to do based on your research? 
Yeah. So specifically when we look at, at FinCyc, we had a whole list. We had 21 actions that we asked about inside of this survey. Now- And how many people did you survey? 500 advisors and 1,000 clients. So that's a pretty good, that's yeah, a pretty, pretty large group size. of people, right? I don't know what, you know, scientifically- comprises a, a a survey group or study group or whatever. That, that seems like a lot of people. Yeah, it's it's a good it's a good sample size. And what it also allows us to do is overlay that data because what we know is uh, there are times where advisors believe that they perhaps are delivering an experience and the experience of the client actually looks different. And so we're looking to uncover those gaps or some of those discrepancies there. And so what we we did in looking at these 21 actions was we distill it down into the five actions that have the greatest impact on client satisfaction. And we also found them effective for decreasing client anxiety. So some of those being helps me identify meaningful personal and financial goals and objectives, considers what's most important in my life, um, something that is you know kind of relatively easy if you're looking to build in one of these actions is communicates recommendations in terms that I can understand and then ultimately looks to make an effort to understand about me. So understand my values, specifically my cultural values, and understanding these priorities before delivering the advice. So we're looking for that depth there before actually giving the financial advice or delivering a financial plan. So that sounds to be more on uh, focused on the client. Matt, what did you think about this research? What's the most actionable thing here that you found? Well, I was I was particularly interested in, in that research from a motivation standpoint and and how how technology and FinSight can help, you know, the the, the process of getting clients more motivated. Because we all know that the more the client is motivated, the more likely they are to implement recommendations or actions that that are um, that are uh, presented by the advisor. And, you know, one of the ways that technology, I think, can really help with that um, is, you know, thinking about that when you're engaging your financial planning process, when you're creating that process you want to engage clients in, the more interactive you can make it, the better, because it helps clients feel like they're they're a part of that planning process. Uh, you know, an analogy I like to use is, is an architect. So, if, if you were building a new home, you'd be sitting down with the plans and you'd be, well, what if I move this room to the other side of the house? Or what if I knock down that wall? That very same mindset can be applied in the financial planning process where the client is engaged and they're looking, well, what if we do this? Or what if I retired at this age instead? And, and really get the visual impact of what those decisions mean and, and how impactful they are to their outcomes at the end of the day. And, and like I was saying before, the more they feel a part of that process instead of being dictated to, the more likely they are to, to take those actions and actually implement them. And we all know that that's sometimes the hardest aspect of financial planning is that follow through piece in getting clients to actually implement what we talk about. And so if a process like that, an engaging interactive process can up the motivation, it, it serves everybody well. And really I guess good. one of the one of the findings was that clients, a lot of clients, or almost half of them, struggle with motivation. That's true. Yeah, um, and the lack of motivation. Right, and and to Matt's point, you know what's what's great about this research, and when we find these areas of personalization that we can identify and kind of build this step to the relationship, 
is for all intents and purposes, a financial plan is just a plan unless the client actually puts it into action, if they implement the financial plan. So finding a way to have this connective tissue to making it real um, and connecting to their lives and their values, et cetera, that can tap into intrinsic motivation, our internal motivation, which is far more sustaining than the extrinsic motivation. So think of extrinsic as, you know, you get an award or you get a bonus compliment, et cetera. But intrinsic is this this is something I want and I believe in. When we can tap into that through personalization and through technology and bringing that to life through visualization, that's where we can increase time to to action inside of the financial plan. And that's ultimately one indicator of many of a successful financial plan. Were there any areas in the financial planning process, were they less motivated than others? I don't know about specific areas that, that we actually called out inside of this research here. But oftentimes when it comes to taking that action is a part of the financial plan where we can be met with resistance. And oftentimes that can come from not building that depth again or that relationship on the front end of the financial plan. So uh, even just in your data gathering or in your relationship building phase, identifying goals, whatever you you know kind of want to call that section there. That's where taking your time and leveraging technology that allows us this this automation, then we can take more time to be with the client, to understand the client and build that in and decrease perhaps some of that resistance, which is, you know, perhaps coming from the unknown later on. Well, and I'll just add one more one more thing there on on the front end of the financial planning process. You know, it's really important to understand where the clients are from a financial literacy standpoint. It's hard to get motivated when things are whizzing past you and you're not totally able to grasp everything that an advisor is talking about or telling you. And so, you know, I think one of the items Emily touched on earlier was communicating in a way that clients can understand. And and you really have to read the room with your clients and understand where they are and then meet them where they are from an education standpoint. And if you need to coach them up in some areas or or talk differently, that's going to pay off for you because they're going to be more engaged, more motivated, uh, and you run less of a risk of them moving on to somebody else who who is more inclined to talk that way. Great point. Yeah, great. Uh, that is very interesting. What is, what is the thing that, that clients have the hardest time with? when they initially start the financial planning process? Not to the report, but just in, in both of yours experience in general. Well, I, I'll, I'll start this one, Emily. I think it's it's oftentimes helping the advisor help them. And, and what I mean by that is their information is in all these disparate places. You know, you got some in a filing cabinet, you got some on various websites, you've got some right, in, right. in the desk drawer. Most of our financial lives are messy, most of us, right? We have kind of not tidy financial lives or profile. Exactly. And so the more, and and this is one of the things, again, about how the technology can help is, you know, the client portals Emily spoke about a minute ago, if, if that can serve as kind of the 
um, financial organization tool. And in today's world, client portals can bring in all those accounts from all those different places. It can house your important financial documents, whether it be, you know, deeds to your home or taxes and wills and stuff like that. Um, and you can bring all of that and, and the client gets a sense of being financially organized. And that's just incredibly helpful, again, it, to their engagement and motivation, but also just in making sure that a plan is in fact based on all the data and all the relevant information. There, there's not bits and pieces that are missing. So that, that's one way in which technology specifically can kind of help alleviate that. That's, that's very, very well said. Emily, what do you think? Yeah, I completely agree. I think that the overwhelming nature of our financial lives and just simply getting organized can really help somebody breathe a bit of a sigh of relief to just see everything in, in one spot. I think in addition to that, there is what's known as a bit of anxiety when it comes to seeking financial advice. And a lot of that comes from I think everybody else probably has this all figured out. Everybody else I see looks to have it all together. I am terrified to be found out that I really don't know what I'm doing and then I'm going to meet with somebody who's got all of this education and expertise in it and how silly am I going to feel sitting there? I don't want to feel that way. And so oftentimes we we avoid it and we put it off. So to Matt's point, really making sure that you understand where where people are and really investing in building a client's confidence. So much of that like inaction, so much of us not moving forward is I just don't simply have the confidence to do it. I don't understand why they're saying what they're saying. And we can use technology to no longer be just this proverbial black box where the financial advisor takes the information I gave them, they bring out a financial plan and they say, hey, look, you should just, you should do this. Trust me. We can use a client portal, which is collaborative, which allows us to engage together I'm now building education. I'm building my confidence. I, you know, I've got skin in the game for all intents and purposes. I, I get it. I'm helping be a part of this this process. But a lot of it comes from I just don't want to feel, you know, like I, I don't know what I'm doing. But that's exactly how I feel. Yeah, I think that's fascinating. In my experience as a journalist and dealing with people's investments. People, particularly elderly people who've been taken advantage of, they'll call me up and say, hey, what do you know about XYZ, you know, partnership that's blown up or my brokerage firm that's, you know, having problems or something like that. And during the financial crisis, of course, I got plenty of those phone calls. And, you know, I take my time, speak to these people and then ask them if they wanted to uh, be quoted for an article or something like that. And, you know, almost uniformly, it's, oh, no, I can't do that. I don't want to appear, I don't want, I don't want my, ch my children to know how stupid I was, <laughs> unfortunately, right? I don't want people to know that I've been taken advantage of, that I was an older person and I was taken advantage of, or I don't want to have my friends say, I told you so, right? Right. There's a lot of that type of anxiety that goes on across the financial planning process. At the start of it, as you guys are saying, or in my experience, the end of it, when there's a bad outcome. Absolutely. I mean, that that perception of, you know, feeling like I don't have it figured out and other people do, it, that peer-to-peer -peer comparison right. is it's really important. It's really important and it's yeah. it's really interesting. I I don't remember if I spoke about this last time, so I apologize. There's this great study out there. It actually looks at, you know, Olympic winners, you know, arguably some of the, 
you know, most talented people in the world. And what they did was they looked at the the faces or the reactions of the three on the podium. And you see the gold medalist and they're ecstatic, of course, as they should be. And then you look at the silver and the bronze winner, bronze winner also very excited. The silver medalist, though, however, is the most disappointed, right? <laughs> because they could have just had gold. Gold is happy because that's top. Right. And bronze is happy because I could have not had a medal at all. But silver, right. again, exceptionally talented, is the most disappointed. And what a perception to have because the rest of the world finds you to be, you know, as exceptional as you are. And so we have to be really careful about that perception. All fascinating stuff. Any talk about money and anxiety, I think, is uh, always formative and rewarding and needs to be paid more attention to. I don't think it gets enough attention in our business and our in, in the financial advice industry. Before we wrap up, Matt, or Matt, you have anything, final words here about your, uh, your recent meeting or what eMoney's doing? We're coming to the end of the year, start of a new year, or anything like that? Well, I'll I'll just take the opportunity uh, again just to just to pitch this research. eMoney really believes in the power that financial psychology included in the planning process can have. You know, we take every opportunity we can to talk about it, whether that's through our summit or client meetings, uh, through our continuing education offerings. It's, it's something I instruct all our practice management folks to be versed in. Um, because I, I just think it can it can be so important in impacting that advisor client relationship. So uh, again, I, I just want to encourage folks to learn more about it generally and and look for a couple of nuggets they can apply to their practices because I like I said, I think it's uh, really powerful stuff. And obviously it seems to me eMoney is putting a lot of emphasis on this just as my perception that you you're trying you guys are trying to differentiate yourself in the marketplace a little bit right? By your attention to this. Yeah. I, I think without question, you know, it, it's something we believe in. It's something we hope to build upon inside the technology uh, right. even more. You know, how can the technology become smarter? How can the technology operate like a partner and almost a coach for our users around some of these matters? So, so yes, I mean, we, we firmly believe in it. And as of right now, appear to be kind of differentiating ourselves with with this kind of uh, this kind of research that Emily has done now for a couple of years for us and and will continue to be doing. Emily, how about you? Any final words before we sign off? Yeah, I mean, I think as you look at at this research, what's really interesting is we have the objective expectations of technology like efficiency, et cetera. But what this shows are the subjective outcomes and the power and the impact of the subjective outcomes like satisfaction, like client loyalty and retention. And those really hit the bottom line for the financial advisor. So this is really an opportunity to um, kind of jump on the, uh, the digital wave here, this transformative technology and immersing yourself into FinSight, even if that's finding one action or service that you build into it, and then looking to really utilize a tool like a client portal um, to really leverage that and, and build this collaborative relationship because there is so much depth there and all we see are positive outcomes as we continue to combine the two. Okay. Well, thank you so much, both of you. Just hang in there. 
while we say, uh, while I just take a moment here to say goodbye to people who might be still listening to the podcast, if they are, that's wonderful. Launching every other Monday, twice a month. That was another episode of the Investment News Podcast. We want to thank our guests, Dr. Emily Kuchel and Matt Schulte from eMoney. Please find the Investment News, find the Investment News Podcast at investmentnews.com, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. Leave us a review on Apple, follow us on Spotify. Stay tuned, and we'll be talking to you in about two weeks.